Prepare our hearts to worship you, the ever faithful, ever true. Forgive our sin and make us new. Prepare our hearts to worship you. Holy ground, 
the God who created us, the God who created everything, um, that he allows us to talk to him, to, to look to him when we are so unworthy. I'm so glad that y'all are here this morning. Um, if you are a guest, uh, if you look on the pew in front of you or behind you, um, in the slots, there should be connection cards. Um, we would love to get to just get to know you better, um, to say hey, um, to thank you for coming, uh, just to connect with you. So if you would uh, fill those out and put them um, in the offering baskets in the back um, when, you, when you leave, uh, we'd love that. Uh, as we started last week, um, we are, as a church body, memorizing Scripture together. Um, we are called to, in Scripture, to hide His Word in our hearts that we might not sin against Him. Um, and so we have uh, the scripture on the screen right now. We're memorizing Psalm 19.1. Um, and so let's, uh, let's say this together. Um, and it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Psalm 19.1. So good. So true. Um, that's just such a good reminder of again, his creation, that everything points to him. So, um, let's, let's pray together, and then we'll continue to worship through song. God, you are so good. God, you're so gracious to us. Lord, thank you for this time that we can be here, um, worship you, God, speak to you, um, and Lord, listen, allow you to speak to us. Lord, I pray that as we continue um, in worship through song, God, that our hearts will be focused on you, God, that we won't be distracted, um, but that we will be um, true worshipers, God, um, that we will worship in this moment, God, in this place, um, as Matthew brings the word, that we will worship um, through receiving your word, and then, God, that we can worship as we leave today by applying your word. Lord, we love you. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. One day when heaven was filled with his praises, sin was as black as could be. Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men, my example is he. 
The Word became flesh and the light shined among us. His glory revealed. And living He loved me. Dying He saved me. Buried He carried my sins far away. Yeah. 
This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. Oh, 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 oh.
Lord, it is to you alone that we, that we worship God, to you alone. Lord, help that be our prayer. Help us to truly worship you alone. Lord, not, not things of this world, not people, but you. Lord, I pray for Pastor Matthew, that as he brings this word, God, that you will give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. Lord, that we will leave this building better equipped to serve you and to love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Y'all can go ahead and take a seat if you would like to. So we are beginning this week a week of prayer. We've been talking about the Myers-Mallory offering uh, for the State Board of Missions and for the different activities that the, uh, the state Southern Baptist churches are involved in. And so this week begins the week of prayer. And so there are these little cards look just like this should be on the back tables. And so you are welcome on your way out. You're welcome to get up now and get one if you want to. You're welcome to. Uh, Or on the way out this morning. But we are going to open up uh, the week of prayer with prayer and uh, talk about this offering that we will take up next week. And so next Sunday morning, as part of our worship together, we will take up the offering. Every bit of it goes to state missions and to different uh, organizations that you can learn about within this prayer guide. And so I encourage you to grab one, pray this week, and uh, pray for the Lord's blessing on his people and on the gospel to go out and Christ to be known and needs to be met and God to be glorified. So if you would, join me in prayer once again, and uh, let's ask the Lord's blessing on this week and on this offering. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the many men and women historically who have served and given their lives in order to make you known. That God, each person that goes and shares is a testament to your sovereign grace in the lives of sinful people who are dark and blind, God, to to the nature of our sin and our separation from you, but by grace, by grace, you reveal and you speak to us and you save us, God. And so, Father, I ask that, God, you would strengthen uh, the men and women and the churches in Alabama. You would strengthen them for the work that you have called us to, that you have appointed to your people to take the gospel to the nations and to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, Lord. That, God, you would help them to do that. So, God, would you strengthen us this morning? towards that, that, Lord, you would fill us with your word, that we would hear from you, and that, God, we would be strengthened by your spirit. So we ask your blessing on this time, we ask your blessing on this offering, that you would give us direction, and that, God, you would be glorified through it. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You got the mic? Where'd the mic go? (laughs) Microphones are gone. Oh, there they are. I just can't see. This comes from 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. 
Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you for giving us the context there. We are going to look a few verses past that in 2 Timothy and look at discipleship this morning. What, what Paul and Timothy, what we see going on here in this letter, this is potentially one of the last letters that Paul wrote. As he says, he is in prison. He is most, more than likely in prison the last little bit of his life in Rome before he gives a witness to the gospel that he has for decades served and shared and taught to the emperor, to uh, Caesar, before he, he more than, as antiquity tells us, as other writers tell us, was beheaded for the gospel. And so Paul, as he writes to Timothy and encourages this young brother in Christ towards the ministry and the work that God has called him to. He gives us some really uh, tender words to Timothy, but also gives us a really great witness and encouragement for us as God's people for what he has called us to. So, there's this guy. He's not alive anymore. His name is Clarence Jordan. I don't know if you've heard of him. Uh, He was a pastor in Georgia, a farmer in Georgia, and uh, was uh, tells a story during one of the sermons that he preached about a a time where he visited a a brother another another church and visited a pastor and the pastor was telling him about his church and about everything that was going on and was giving him the red carpet tour of the facility and so this this pastor comes and and tells Clarence he's Look at all this. Look at this. these pews. They came from wherever. They were imported and wonderful. And this carpet is, is, is splendid. And just telling them all the things of, of this facility and how, how amazing it is. And as, as the day was winding on, it was walking them outside. And they walked outside. So the sun's going down and, and spotlight was, was shining up on the steeple, the giant steeple with the big old cross, this this pastor is, is just full, full of it. He is just, he is all thrilled about this and tells him, look, look at that. That cross cost us $10,000. It was, it was just, it's a wonderful thing. And Clarence kind of laughs and is like, you got, you got cheated. There was once a time where those things were given out for free. And so we can easily, in a similar fashion, we can easily lose track of what is of most importance. We can easily, like this pastor, think that these other things, which are not bad, we can think that these things are what God is most interested in His people doing. And we can miss, we can slowly miss the value of what God is doing in His people and of eternal value in the world. And so we see as Paul, as as we have looked at, that this letter he is sending to Timothy is potentially it. And that he's looking to pass on his legacy, his heritage. He's looking to pass on his work and ensure that it continues once he's gone. So let's read. 
Let's read in verse 8. Let's read 9 and 10 and look at three things. We've got three aspects out of these verses that we're going to draw from to look at uh, this discipleship for his people. So if you would, read with me. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, in which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So scripture here, this letter, is, as we're reading it, this letter is specific. He's specifically writing to this person who is serving a church in Ephesus, and none of us are, are Timothy or Paul, but this is God's word that has, that has reference and has meaning for you and me because it's his word. He has spoken and inspired this, and so the purpose behind what is historically happening here in the life of Timothy and the life of Paul is informative to you and to me. And so he says, let's break this down, therefore, therefore points backwards to what he has just said as he's telling Timothy that you do not have a spirit of fear, you do not have a spirit of timidity, but you, by God's spirit that has been given to you because you've been saved by his grace, he has filled you and empowered you to give a witness to represent him where he has called you and what he has called you to do. And so, do not be ashamed of the testimony. And the testimony there in Greek is the word we use for martyr. It means witness. Giving a witness, giving a statement of faith, a statement of belief, of trust about our Lord. And so we have here in this, we have our first point of do not be ashamed of Christ. Do not be ashamed of of the gospel, Paul tells Timothy. May you not be ashamed of who he is. And there's a few aspects here that one, a public shame. Don't be publicly ashamed of Christ, he tells Timothy. But there's also another aspect. There's also the theological aspect of shame. In that, a uh, fifth century pastor named John Chrysostom, or Chrysostom, however you want to say his last name, he he preached this text and drew the point that, the, uh, that shame in regards to the gospel can manifest in a changing of what it means and a lessening of certain points because of the nature of the gospel, because of the nature of faith. In that, we can look that our God gave His life on a tree of shame. It was a shameful thing to die on a cross. It was something that was reserved for criminals. It was reserved for the the lowest of the class within Roman society to suffer and die on a cross. And so, in that context, to follow a Savior who suffered on a cross could produce shame. And then to follow, God tells us we must follow Him in faith. Not in grandiose activities and and amazing power of ourselves, but emptiness, weakness, that He would fill us. 
And so we can look at the gospel and it can produce shame is what John was saying many years ago is that we see in the early church lots of heretics, people who taught things that were not true. And they taught it in part because the actual truth of God can be taken shamefully because it's not about us. And because it's according to His wisdom and it's according to His power. Not in what we can accomplish. And so, don't be ashamed of Christ. Don't be ashamed publicly or within regard to the doctrine of the Scripture. Or also in regards to Paul, as he says, our testimony of the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. So don't be ashamed of Christ, of the Gospel, but also of others, circumstances. I can't imagine being Paul. I can't imagine have spent roughly three decades serving, doing incredible things. Doing phenomenal things that God did through him, of course, as he, he upset entire cities. That Timothy was left in Ephesus. He was pastoring in Ephesus. And Ephesus was the place where Paul spent months preaching and that the entire city was turned on its head because of his preaching, because of the gospel, because of because of the people, the pagan people there who were rejecting what he said and were not thrilled with the amount of folks in Ephesus who believed. And so for hours, they, they yell, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is this pagan deity. And the whole city is in turmoil because of the gospel. This man is now in prison, chained, waiting his death. Don't be ashamed, he tells them. Don't be ashamed, Timothy, of me. So before we, we go any further, let's, let's break down verses 9 and 10 because within verses 9 and 10, we have, we have an answer for us of how. Rather than just don't be ashamed and just don't be ashamed and be reprimanded and slapped on the wrist because you may feel shame, he gives us an answer. He gives us power. He gives us truth behind this imperative of not to be ashamed. In verses 9 and 10, un, it, it's, it's a phenomenal two verses and statement here. And so it says, by the power of God at the end of verse 8, He has saved us. He has saved a people. It is by God's power there is salvation. It is only by His power. It is only by God coming into our world and into our darkened state of corruption via our sin that we can have life and see clearly who we are and who the world is around us and who God is. It is by His power, the authority of God, that He comes and He saves people and He calls people to a holy calling. That one thing, God is holy, and so the, whole, the calling that God gives to His people is one of holiness because He is holy, but it's also a calling to holiness. That God calls His people, saves them, and calls them to a life set apart for Him. To be fully devoted to the Lord, to God, in holiness, in complete set-apartness for His purposes. He calls us to Himself to a life of holiness, not because, notice, our works is nothing that we do. It's nothing that you or I do that gets God's attention. It's not because we, we were 
really good at something or really capable, and so God wanted us on his team, so to speak. It has nothing to do with our own abilities, but it is completely God and his will. It is completely his desire because of his own purpose and grace. It is because of the intent of the Lord that he brings about salvation to people, to you, to me. It's by his will. And when, when, does it, when does it happen? As he says here, that he gave us, by his grace, his will, which he gave us, I think the gave us is reference to grace that he has given us, in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Time immemorial. It is always. This is his intent. It is not God who sat back, back in the day and thought, you know what, this is not working out. These people... They're stubborn. I'm going to have to do something special. I'm going to have to do something unusual to get them. It's not what happened. It has been God's desire, His plan. It has been His intention for eternity to save people, to call people to salvation in Christ. Then not only has it been His desire, but He brought it about. Jesus came. God, the Son of God, took flesh and walked among us. Jesus came and paid our price. He gave His life that we could be called, we could be saved, as His intent before the foundations of the earth, before ages began. In verse 10, in which now He has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. The invisible, the unknown, the unclear, the immaterial took flesh. That's what this means. Jesus appeared. God appeared and took flesh. Not a messenger, not an angel, not an apparition, not a superhuman. God Himself took flesh upon Him, took full humanity upon Him. Fully God, fully man. And yet He lived just like you and me, yet without sin. Jesus came. He appeared. He came and manifested Himself. He displayed Himself to you and to me. That humanity that the world could see who God is, could see His character, could see His nature, could see truly in what He intends and what He wants for people and for His creation. He came and He, out of His love and out of His abundant mercy, He came and revealed to us who He is. Jesus came and served us. And so that through Him, through our Savior, through what Christ Jesus has done, through Him giving His life on the cross, what does it say He did? He abolished death. That means He neutralized it. Death, we're still going to die. It's going to happen. We all, death is still alive, it's still around, it's not alive, it's still still around. Death is still, still here and it's something that we all face and we all know will occur. Yet what Jesus is saying, what, what God, Jesus, through Paul is saying is that through His sacrifice on the cross, the power, authority of death no longer exists for those who are in Christ. In that, we will die. The culmination of our life will be death, but it is not a death to be feared. It is not a death 
that carries the weight of sin, that carries the weight of the judgment of God any longer for those who are in Christ Jesus. But because of what Jesus has done, because of Him coming, and because He gave His life, because He has appeared, He came and destroyed death. He abolished it. He neutralized it. He removed its authority and its power so that death is simply a door. It is simply something we go through in Christ, if we are in Christ, to be with God for eternity. He has brought life, immortality to light through the gospel. Through what Jesus has accomplished, what He has done, there is life. True life. Not just existence, not just making it through tomorrow, but life. He redeems and regenerates His people to where we can experience what He intends for us. We can experience what He created us to be by His work of grace that we can have His life and that life wells up into eternal life. Immortality. Never-ending life. Because He has neutralized and destroyed death and because He has taken our penalty upon Himself on the cross. This is the power of the Gospel. I believe these two verses, verses 9 and 10, are an early confession of faith. I believe we have here this summary of the Gospel of theology proper in these two verses. A confession, a witness. Remember that testimony there in verse 8. This this witness of what God has done, I believe here in these two verses, we have one of these very early orthodox statements of truth, of the gospel of Christ. Do you know this? Do you know these pieces of the gospel of Scripture? I hope you've read all of the Bible from cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation. I hope you've read it all. I hope you know it. You may not have. And it's okay, you should strive for that. That is a good target and a good goal to read it all. It is a good goal to press forward to know it all. Yet it's difficult. And it can be difficult to keep it all in mind. It can be difficult to understand why this and that happens and how how this person comes to be and why they're doing this and why God tells Isaiah to do these weird things and cook his food over cow dung and why why in the world does this happen it's in there (laughs) it's actually jeremiah it's not isaiah um my mistake so (laughs) case in point difficult to keep track of it all and so god gives us something like this this is a summary this is a summary of faith of the work of god from cover to cover here in these two verses of what god has done what He has done from time past to now. And so I hope you know it. I hope you know and believe this of what Jesus has done, the power of God, the Gospel, and that you have trusted Him because His Gospel, what He has done, is powerful. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians tells us this, that when the, when the perishable us puts on the imperishable God and the immortal the mortal puts on immortality then shall come to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory O death where is your victory O death where is your sting 
What God has done, what He has promised, what He has brought about His power is that what is mortal, what is temporary, has been redeemed by Christ. That His power has destroyed death so that we can say this. That we can cry this by faith in Christ. That death wears your sting. That Jesus is victorious over it. That He is victorious. And so, let's go back to shame. Let's go back to verse 8. The shame of the cross. What is his encouragement here? Because of what Jesus has done, do not be ashamed of the gospel. Do not be ashamed of Christ. Because verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That just because those who reject Christ, who don't believe, think it's folly and ridiculous and weak and dumb and a crutch, does not mean it is. It is the power of God to save because this is what he is bringing about from 1 Corinthians 15 and what we see in verses 9 and 10 of 2 Timothy. The power to save, to change history, to give us life and life eternal. And so it is God's power that does this. It is God's power because it is based in him. It is impossible to please God, but by faith. All of our lives, we must trust Him. From beginning to end, we must walk in faith and trust the Lord. And that's the, that's, that's the application of the gospel there, that we have to trust Him. That it is essential we understand and that we trust the Lord and that we then, because we trust Him, our fear is removed. We can step past it. We can deal with it, not be consumed by it, and decide to act on what we believe to be true. And so, as Paul tells Timothy, do not be ashamed of the gospel or of me. He's telling him, because of what Jesus has done and because you believe this is true, because we see this to be true, you then have no reason to be ashamed. Because of this testimony. But he gives another, another thing, another element, another evidence. And it's his own experience. Recall in the first seven verses of this chapter that Paul says, Paul says at the very beginning is he is called an apostle of God who follows God as his ancestors did. And then he later says to Timothy that I know the faith that was in your grandmother and your mother is now at residence within you. That we have this view to the legacy and the heritage of faith. We have this view of God's sovereign hand to provide for these two men and to their stance and stable position in life that God has sovereignly been at work within them to bring them to where they're at so that they, by sovereign view, can look back and see God has done this. God has presented and provided for me. God has brought me to this place in life. I can see God's hand at work within my life, Paul says. And he says of Timothy. 
that I'm thankful for so many men and women who have gone before us, who have written their experience, and who have shared of what God has done in their life, that we can then look back and see the testimony, see the witness of God at work in in their lives, and then, by God's grace, our eyes can be opened a little bit to see how God is at work in our own lives and recognize His hand of mercy, His His extension of grace in our lives and see His sovereign work that leads us to further faith and further dependence upon Him because we have experienced His grace, because we have experienced His work in our life, that then we can stand unashamed of Christ because we believe in the testimony and the truth and we also believe that we see Him at work within us. I think Paul gives Timothy those two things to stand upon. This statement, this confession of faith in verse 9 and 10, but also the the testimony of God at work within their lives. How about you? Do you believe? Verses 9 and 10, do you believe that? Do you believe that truth of what God has done? Do you believe that the gospel is the power of God to save and to save you? Do you believe that Christ has given His life for you personally? He has given His life to pay your debt of sin. To call you to forgiveness and faith in Him. Do you believe that is true? And then, have you seen God at work in your life? Do you see His hand of mercy? Do you see His sovereign work within you to bring you to a point of faith? maybe in the past or maybe today? Do you see Him at work within you? If so, be encouraged. Be strengthened by what He has done and what He has been doing in your life. Be strengthened by the reality of the eternal God at work within you to bring you to faith, to preserve you and present you one day before Him fully made as a follower, as a believer, as His child. Be encouraged by His work of grace in your life. Or, I hope you would see His work. I would hope you would see Him at work within you and that that would draw you to faith if you do not know Him. If this is alien to you. That you would would see and that God would reveal that you would have a heart to look to Him and ask, God, would would you open my eyes? Would you show me what you're doing? Would you show me what you have done in my life? There was a guy in the 5th century, another guy from the 5th century, named Augustine, who wrote a book, I encourage you, it's free, it's out there, called The Confessions. It's a wonderful book where he talks about God's work in his life and he starts at infancy. I don't know how he remembered that, but incredible. So he, um, he starts at infancy how God had been preparing him for the call to holiness, the call to trust, the call to walk in faith. And he confesses his faith. He confesses the work of God in his life. I hope you would ask the Lord to reveal that to you. What has he been doing in your life? Do you see his hand his sovereign hand of mercy in your life. I don't think Augustine knew. I don't, I, I don't think he knew it at all. I, I'm kidding. I don't think he was aware. He was self-aware as an infant. But I think that as he sought the Lord, the Lord opened his eyes 
through what others told him to see how God had been preparing, how God had brought circumstances about so that he would be where he was. Where he would know Christ, he would depend upon him, and that he would have known the power of God to save and to use him. Do you see God's hand at work in your life? Have you trusted in him? Do you believe what he has said here? Let's, let's keep going. Number two, do not forget God's gospel. Do not forget the gospel. Look in verses 11, 12, and 13. It says, For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And so Paul says that he has been called. He was appointed a preacher of the gospel, an apostle, a teacher of, of the gospel of Christ that he received and that he then shares to Timothy and teaches Timothy. And then in the next chapter in this letter, he tells Timothy, you go tell others this. Just as I received this from Christ, I didn't make it up, I didn't come about this in my own wisdom and understanding, but I received this from Christ, I received this from others, and I have given it to you, and you go do the same, Timothy. You go tell others about this, you entrust the truth of God to others, share with others who He is, and what He has done, and what He has done in your life, what you have believed, and know that Paul knew not just truth. He didn't just know doctrine, scripture, and things. He knew the person. He says, I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able. We are not here because of the words on this page and because this is a textbook. This is not a textbook. This is God's inspired word that He reveals to us who He is and what He has done. He has done. What the triune God of the universe has accomplished and what He is doing now. We believe in a person, not an idea, not a concept, not a principle, not in a manner of seeing the world, although the view of the world in Scripture is intellectually satisfying. That's why there are apologists. That's why there is a field of apologetics, because within Scripture there is an intellectually satisfying view of the world. But we see a person in Scripture. We were revealed the person of God. And Paul is saying, I have believed in Him. I have believed in the Lord God. He knows who he has believed in. And his knowledge is in a perfect aspect. It's complete. He knows the person. It's not an apparition. He knows the person of Christ because of what God has done and what he has said. So, do you believe in the person of Christ? Is your faith in a living person, God, or simply in words, or simply in someone else's behavior or activity or what they've told you to believe in? Do you know the person of Christ? The living God. Because 
Paul knew God, he could suffer. He could suffer as a good servant of the Lord because he knew God, because he knew truth, but because he had experienced and seen God at work in him. It was the person of God with him. As we have been looking at the last several Sundays of the abiding presence of Christ, it is because of God through his spirit that he is with us that we can endure, that we can live, that we can that we can exist through this life with joy and with victory over sin and self because Jesus is with us. Because He is with His people by His Spirit. And so Paul is telling Timothy this, that I am convinced, I know He is able to guard, to guard His faith, to guard His life, and to guard what He has done. To guard the work of ministry as he is sitting at 30 years of service and it's all out of his control. He won't be around anymore to, to fight the fights, to argue with, with ridiculousness. He's handing over the reins, but he trusts not that he has done a great job, but, because, but that Jesus is trustworthy and he is not limited. Jesus has no end. And so he believes in him, yielding last. Guard the gospel. He tells Timothy in verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard it. Fight for it. Just as Jesus, the same word used in the verses before, and just as Jesus guards his people and is guarding what, what Paul has done, the work that he has given, as Jesus is guarding his church, he tells us to guard the gospel, protect the truth, protect the message, protect what God has done. Don't let it be tarnished, don't let it be mishandled, misrepresented, or twisted. Guard the gospel. Guard what you have believed in. Guard the deposit. Timothy's not a bank. He's not a giant bank. The deposit he's talking about is the truth. The truth of what God has done that has been invested in him. That Paul has taught him and shared with him as Timothy walked with Paul. And saw Paul work and saw Paul serve and teach. As Paul invested in him and Timothy knew He believed and he acted upon that this truth, this deposit of the truth that was once presented by God through Christ, given to his apostles and then taught to others, has been preserved and given to us. Was given to Timothy, as Timothy was told to go share. Was given to you. If you are in Christ, this same message of the gospel has been given to you. Has been entrusted to you to share, not to build upon, not to, not to recontext and recreate and, and make it in, in your own likeness of how you would have it, but to preserve the truth of the gospel and to share it with others, unmanipulated exactly how Jesus has given it to us. Do you know the gospel? Is the truth of verses 9 and 10 what you believe? Have you seen His sovereign work of grace in your life? And then, are you now, are you guarding it? Are you seeking to know the Lord and preserve the truth of who Jesus is that then you would share it and invest it in others? What is your life all about? 
Are you spending your life on eternal pursuits? Are you spending your life on temporary little pleasures? What is the focus of your days? Believer, is your days, are your days focused on Christ and what He has given you to do? Is your days focused on the gospel that others would know what you have experienced, that God has been at work within your life? That He has given you life from death. He has given you hope and promise. Is your day wrapped up in these things? Or are you consumed by temporary things? By things that won't last? That don't matter? Are you willing to sacrifice temporary pleasures and temporary satisfactions in order to do what is eternal? In order to give your life to what is most important? It's hard. I'm thinking about my day yesterday and, and how... More than once, I, give, I gave my attention to things that are just worthless. Doesn't matter. Time that's gone. It's not coming back. It's not returning. Yet God tells us to guard the gospel. John 12, 24 and 25. We'll kind of close with this as we move into the Lord's Supper. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This word guard, watching, is here in this. Whoever loves his life, whoever loves his life in this world and is not willing to give up the things right now will lose it. But he who hates it, he who turns away from it, he who's willing to sacrifice now to trust in Christ will keep it, will keep it for eternal life. That, that term guard here in 2 Timothy is the same term there for keep it. We'll maintain it, we'll not lose it, we'll be watchful, we'll have it. Do you trust in Christ? It's a pretty good promise. It's hard. But His grace is sufficient. So, are you doing that? Are you following Christ, believer? Are you trusting in Him? Do you know of what He has done? And are you then applying what He has said to share with others around you? Are you involved in discipleship? Are you involved in ministry? Are you involved in sharing Him with others? What He is doing in your life, what you are learning of Him, what He's revealing to you, are you then sharing it with others? We have some opportunities here for you to be involved in that. Some entry points for you to, to start. As we're trying to return back on Wednesday nights this week to time together, to time in God's Word and among each other. That may be a place for you to be involved, to apply these things, to be active in ministry, to pouring life into someone else, into sharing what you have believed. That may be a way in. Or, listening to what Paul has said here, of what God has done, that you then would look to those around you 
as you're going to lunch, as you're going to work tomorrow, as you're involved in your neighborhood, as you're talking to a neighbor of maybe, what has God got for me here? How would he use me now in these people's lives, in this person I'm talking to, this person I, I know, this person I've lived next to for a decade? How would he use me there? Let's pray. And then we'll have a brief time of response, and then we'll take together of the Lord's Supper. And uh, then we've got a, a quick recognition after that. So if you would pray with me. Father God, I thank you, Lord. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you, Lord Jesus, have given your life on our behalf. It was not our idea. The mercy that you gave on the cross was not ours. It wasn't because we deserve or earned, but it was simply because of your grace. It was simply because of your, your mercy and your goodness. And so, Father, I ask your help upon us this morning that you, Lord, would draw us to you. That, Lord, we would trust in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So if you'd like to stand, we'll just have a very brief time to respond. If I can help you, if I can pray with you, if you want to pray, you're welcome to come down here. You're welcome to pray at your seat. But just a moment to respond, and then we will move into the Lord's Supper. It would be a great time to grab a cup if you'd like to also. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. And I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee, oh, bless me now, my Savior. You're welcome to take a seat if you'd like to. Continue responding in prayer as uh, we, we take of the Lord's Supper. And so the Lord's Supper was wrapped in aluminum and was shiny. <laughs> Should have taken this out before now. Anyways, so the, um, so the Lord, as Jesus came and he gave his life, he instituted two things, two practices within his local body, one being baptism an entrance into the faith, an entrance into the local people professing faith in what God has done. And so as we talk about baptism being a picture, it's a picture of what spiritually God has brought about in people, that He has brought from death to life because of His grace in baptism. We then have this practice that reminds us of what Jesus did, what our lives cost. Jesus came and he gave his life, very real body, very real blood, just like, these are not body and blood, but just like these, these pieces are real. And as we partake of them, these real pieces represent and point us to the very real sacrifice that Jesus gave on the cross on our behalf. And he tells us to do this together to remind us and to draw us to repentance, to draw us to consider where we are and what we have done, that we would then turn to Him and trust again in Him. None of us are perfect. 
We all choose to do things that are not in keeping with the gospel that we have received, but by His grace we are saved. Remember in 2 Timothy, by His grace we are saved. It is His grace, and it is His grace that continues for our entire life to preserve us. His sacrifice, His body, His blood shed and spilt is sufficient. Sufficient to pay for you and for me. So this is a reminder of that. A time for restoration and a time for repentance. And so as we follow through, we read the scripture um, of the story of the Lord's Supper, I encourage you to seek the Lord, to seek the Lord, to seek Christ in this, that he would restore you, that he would restore joy in your life because it's finished, it's accomplished. What he has done will never be redone. So from the Gospel of Matthew, we, we read on the screen, Now as they were eating, Jesus, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. So if you would take first layer, let's do this together as this is his his body that was broken for you, take and eat. Father, I thank you for your body that was given, that Jesus, you gave your life. Thank you that you took upon your body my sin and our sin. Amen. And so let's continue. He says that as as they have eaten, he then took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So if you would take, peel off the next layer. Take and drink the blood of Christ. Let's pray one more time. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for giving of yourself that we could be healed and forgiven, that by your stripes, by your suffering and sacrifice, we can be forgiven of our sin, brought into your family and given life. I thank you, Lord. And Father, I ask that, God, you would be with your people and that, God, you be glorified through us today. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. So before